Welcome to the Cannabis Cultivation and Science Podcast. I'm your host, Tad Hussey of Kiss Organics. This is the podcast where we discuss the cutting edge of growing from a science-based perspective and draw on top experts from around the industry to share their wisdom and knowledge. My guest this week is Rufus Akinrinlola. He is a PhD candidate and graduate research assistant in the Entomology and Plant Pathology Department at the University of Tennessee, Knoxville. He works in the research programs of UT specialty crops and field crop pathology, focusing on sustainable disease and integrated pest management systems, where he's co-mentored by Drs. Heather Kelly and Zachariah Hansen. Rufus has a Master's of Science degree in agronomy, focused on plant pathology from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, and a Bachelor's of Science degree in microbiology from Adekunle Ajasin University in Nigeria. His areas of interest include management of field and specialty crops with emphasis on the improved adoption of integrated pest management and natural products and crop protection. Rufus was recently awarded a Developing Emerging Agricultural Leader and Talent Grant by Corteva AgriScience in recognizing his potentials as an emerging crop protection future leader. Now on to the show. Hi Rufus, thanks for coming on the show today. Hey, hi Ted, thank you for having me. Absolutely. So can we start off uh, with you just telling uh, telling listeners a little bit about yourself? Okay. So uh, my name is Rupo Sakerinola. So I'm originally from Nigeria. And um, I Nigeria, I studied microbiology. And then in 2016 and 2014, I moved to the U.S. Uh, where I studied uh agronomy and plant pathology in University of Nebraska. And 2018, I moved to Tennessee, where I'm currently uh, rounding off my PhD in uh, plant pathology. That is, that's quite a journey. So uh, you're, you're currently a graduate research assistant at the University of Tennessee. You studied microbiology in Nigeria, and then Nebraska, and now Tennessee. So you've, you've, you're fairly well-traveled. Um, I'm just for listeners to understand. I know some people are uh, have been have met, mentioned in the past they're hard of hearing, so I, I may repeat some things Rufus shares just to just for the ease of, of those people. But um, I really wanted to share Rufus's uh, his research because it's it's quite interesting. So you you have a paper that I'm looking at right now that's called Hemp Fungicide Efficacy Field Trial for Leaf Spot and Powdery Mildew. Can you yeah. talk a little bit about um, how how you're working with hemp and uh, why you picked uh, you know leaf spot and powdery mildew for your trial? Yeah, thank you, Todd. So in Tennessee, since hemp was uh, legalized in 2018, in Tennessee there have been a lot of uh, people interested in growing hemp and. Um, um, but there is so much uh, little uh, knowledge and information about uh, disease that are affecting hemp uh, uh, since so little research has been, you know, conducted in that area. And in Tennessee, uh, among the most uh, common disease that our growers um, reported to the 
professors and extension specialists, um, Lee Sport one of the most fundamental uh, diseases. They especially uh, affect them in feet. You know, we can have damage up to uh, 50 to 60 percent of uh, leaf, and and when that happens, it can cause a lot of trouble, like uh, leaf devolution and lesions on the leaf. And uh, if it's not properly managed, it could, uh, you know, affect uh, the quality of the the leaf, including even the uh, trichome. And in him, in Tennessee, the the most um, varieties of hemp that are produced are the hemp for CBD. Uh, just for clarity, between hemp and marijuana, uh, in Tennessee, hemp is, is, is legal, whereas marijuana is illegal. And yes. to di- differentiate that, where the... The THC content, which is the psychoactive compound in hemp, is about 0.3%. Uh, so if it's higher than that, it is considered to be marijuana. So the hemp that we produce is a hemp for CBD, which is uh, which is different for uh, marijuana. So, yeah, going back to why I choose the disease, so there are a lot of trouble with uh, hemp spot and powder mildew. But there is no information. There's no uh, a lot of knowledge on how to what can be used to control it. There's no data, and um, even products that are labeled, they are not labeled for hemp. Since hemp is a relatively new new plant to this state, so that's why we picked uh, the research topic to look at. Some product that can be, you know, can use to manage the disease. Okay, so that makes sense. So it, uh, there, there just isn't a lot of data out there or research. It really doesn't exist yet. This is a new crop, um, pretty much worldwide when it comes to the, the academic world. There's been some research I know out of Israel, and I've seen some work out of Israel or uh, Italy as well. Um, and, and we're starting to see research here in the United States on hemp, which, as you mentioned, is different than um, what you know the government calls marijuana, what growers call cannabis. Um, but you're, you're absolutely right there. Now, in terms of hemp leaf spot and powdery mildew, you know, that's going to cause leaf necrosis. So we're, we're losing the leaf's ability to photosynthesize. Um, it's stressing the plant, which can lead to greater pest uh, or decrease pest resistance um, and also like you mentioned just affect the overall vigor and health of of your crop and which which would affect your yields overall so yeah powdery mildew is one I'm more familiar with here in Washington state I, I haven't had to deal with hemp leaf spot or um, anything like that okay. myself but I, I'm aware of what you're saying so so for this trial um, you guys looked at the research shows. Let me see here. I'm I'm, I'm looking at the paper now, and I'll I'll attach it oh, to sorry. the uh, podcast page for people. But you set up a oh. bunch of plots. Um, what? Wh- well, why don't you just tell me what? Um, what did you compare in your research? 
Oh, can you, can you come again? So uh, you looked at four fungicide products, correct? Yes. Can yes. you? Uh, I'll go ahead and list them because I'm reading this. So you have Stargus from uh, Marone yes. Bio Innovations, yes. DefGuard, which is a general hydroponic product, um, yes. Exile uh, from General Hydroponics, and Regalia from Marone Bio. Yes. Um, what, uh, so what, what did you find now these, um, it looks like a couple of these are biological fungicides. Oh yeah. So, yeah. So the question is that why did we select those products, right? Yeah. Let's start there. That's a, that's a good question. Yeah. That's a very good question. And, and as I said earlier, there's some little uh products if uh, if it's at all that is labeled for him so and in recently i think about last year or 2019 the epa approved some products about 59 of the of them uh for him and in tennessee only about four of those were approved by the uh tennessee a Department of Agriculture to be used on, on hemp. But even though they have been, you know, approved, there was no um, data. And also, the uh, all the products, as you obviously say, uh, they are like, uh, they call them reduced risk products or, or home related. And then that means they are biological products, they are which you know, potentially are less uh, toxic to the uh, environment or to uh, know, human compared to uh, the, the conventional products and, and that are used for controlling uh, such disease on other crops. So basically, these products are selected because uh, one, they have just been uh, approved by the uh, Tennessee and Department of Agriculture for use on health in Tennessee. And secondly, you know, we are particularly interested in you know, testing uh, reduced risk products, uh, mm-hmm. which are you know more friendly uh, to the environment. So so the reason you chose them are because uh, you could you had to choose a product that was approved by uh, the state of Tennessee for use on hemp, and then you wanted mm-hmm. to go with more reduced risk products, so things that were you know organically listed or approved by Omri, um, which makes sense. Um, and one thing that you mentioned that I think is really important is is uh, the, there is no data on these products from a university, and just because a product is approved does not mean it has good efficacy. So uh, I think that's that's a really important point for growers to think about when they're choosing products to apply, because there's a lot of good sales information around these products, but not in, not a yeah. lot of research. Um, yeah. Now, why not an oil-based product? Like, so the first thing I think of would be something like um, Sulfoil X, which is a mineral oil-based product that's OMRI listed, um, but it's not necessary. I, I don't know if it's been approved in Tennessee for that specific use. Um, 
but but wouldn't pretty much any oil-based product kill a fungus? Oh, you say uh, with any product kill fungus? Is that okay? Uh, any, any like oil-based? Because it looks like you went with, um, you know, biological, and then uh, uh, the regalia is a, a knotweed extract, and then the exile is a potassium salts of fatty acids. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a reason you didn't choose an oil-based product in your trial? Or was there just not um, one available on the market that was uh, approved? Yeah, yeah. Another, another, another criteria we, we use also to select a better, I mean, to select a product to, te- to, to be tested is we also look at uh, some other states what are the products that have been, you know, tested by other scientists mm-hmm. in other states? So um, when we looked at, those are the ones that we found that there are some in other states that have been tested. And when, when scientists are interested in some products in other states, it shows that there's a green light that such products may be effective, mm-hmm. you know, so, but when you look online, and you know, there is no any data. Uh, I mean, look at scientific uh, scientific database like uh, plant disease management report. Uh, mm-hmm. If you look at that database, and you, you find uh, information on uh, a particular product in the nearby, you know, uh, states uh, or states within the same region, you can, you know. Mm-hmm. Have some green light weather testing because ultimately we, although we want results, but ultimately also we also want to be able to recommend products to our growers, yes. and we want something that will be effective for them. So, and uh, when we look at well, the the uh, scientific literature from other states. These are the ones that we see, okay, maybe it has been tested, maybe once in other states, and um, it shows some potential. So uh, okay. that's why we we we, uh, we let those. So not necessarily because the other ones uh, that maybe oil-based products are not effective. No, it's not because we not we not really have uh, any uh, initial information that can uh, which we use to qualify as a criteria, you know, for testing further. Uh, yeah, and to be fair, as a scientist, I mean, you want to test everything. <laughs> you, you want to do all this research, but at the end of the day, you have to pick something. You have to start somewhere, and, you know, you can't <laughs> you can't test 20 products or your statistical you significance would be too low. So... <laughs> Yeah, you know, if you, if you want to test every product, in fact, you you're gonna have a numberless, numerous of them to test because there are yeah. a lot of products there, a lot of products, and so you have to go have some criteria to to go by. And not of and all those products, if you end up testing all of them, that does not mean you're gonna have like good information. I mean, uh, good efficacy from it. So at the end of the day, you want to a product that's going to actually have uh, some good efficacy so that your growers 
that you are serving as an extension professor. My my PR, Dr. Anthony, uh, here is an extension specialist for specialty crop. And, and at the end of the day, he received calls from growers to get, um, you know, to give them recommendation on something like this. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the day, we want to be able to have like positive recommendation, something that can, you know, we can actually say, oh, this is effective in Tennessee, and you can use it. So you want you want to find something that will be effective, that you can recommend to growers, and that you know mm-hmm. works. It doesn't matter if it works in Alaska or in Europe. It matters if it works in Tennessee because those yeah. are the growers that you work with. That makes yeah. sense. So you set up this experimental design and um, these plots. You were uh, hand watering uh, two to three times per week and weeding with mechanical cultivation. And um, once you had, it looks like I'm, I'm reading your your report here, um, leaf spot severity around 2%. You started the fungicide applications and repeated mm-hmm. seven times at 10 day intervals. Um, yeah. and then you did disease ratings to measure the severity of the disease, um, and the, the amount of disease symptoms and incidents yeah. you were seeing on the leaf. So, uh, all of that sounds, sounds great. Uh, let's, let's just dive into the results. What, what did you find with, uh, these four products compared to your control as far as reduction? Let's start with leaf spot. Yeah. As you probably see from the, the results section, the research table that's prepared, uh, most of the products have some level of efficacy, uh, we have, okay, let me uh, describe the treatment. In, in total, we have like six treatments. And one of the treatments is the positive control. The positive control means we know that this is effective. It can control this pathogen. And that is the quadrant. And even though it's not labeled for hemp in Tennessee, uh, we we use that as our check. You know, you can say that when something works, we'll be able to control it with uh, we'll be able to control it with our treatment. Then we have there's another treatment. We have the untreated, untreated treatment, which is it means it is not treated with anything. That means the disease is there. The disease continues to increase. It was not uh, treated with anything. Then the four other treatments are uh, uh, tested products, which include uh, the Stagos, the Regalia, the DevGuard, and the Exile. And you can see from the uh, result table that uh, the, the most effective one among, among the four uh, products is the uh, Regalia. And Regalia has uh, a moderate, uh, uh, relatively higher efficacy compared to the uh, other uh, two products. And if you can see, we look at, the, to summarize the efficacy, we look at the, uh, you look at the disease index table. Disease index means the summary of the uh, 
incidents and this the summary of the incidents and the severity so the incidents measured uh, out of let's say out of uh, the whole plant how what is the proportion of the plant has disease for instance if the if the plant has five branches is it all the branch that has at least a symptom of lisford or just one of the the branch or all of the branch so that is in incidence then the severity we look at the leaf you know on each leaf on of the plant how many uh, parts or what proportion or percentage of that leaf has the disease so when we take the data both incidence and severity data we we multiply that and divide by 100 to to determine our disease incidence so that is summary data so if you look at the disease uh index table for regalia you will see that our value in during our during our um three dates data collection dates you see that it's always uh lower than the on, on uh, than the untreated can you see that uh the untreated has like for instance the, during the first day the untreated has like a level a level disease index while the treat uh, regalia has six and if you look at the final date regalia has um 16 and the untreated has uh 24. so that shows that is uh uh is is controlling disease compared that to the untreated again if you look at the area under disease progress that is also known as disease intensity across the trial if you want to summarize disease across the date or during the period of the trial so we also use that term also to describe the disease so you also look at the untreated which is our uh, negative control you see that the data is uh, higher than regalia regalia has lower disease on a uh, disease area under disease progress com compared to uh the untreated the untreated has three six hundred and forty three regalia has only three hundred eighty one also if you look at the letter the letter after the 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 value regalia has letter b whereas the untreated has letter a that shows that this the letter is different so when the letter is different it shows that the values or the efficacy of that treatment is different from the untreated so yeah you can see that then uh we now go to the next effective one is Stagos. uh we can see that Stagos. Stagos okay no exile as i then followed by stagos so for the uh least spots that regalia if you look at um if you look at uh, devgat you can see that the the number 
for Delgad is high. It's almost it's similar, not almost, it's similar to the that of untreated control. And that means um the plant that are treated with Delgad is not different. I mean the disease not, was not statistically different. significant. Exactly. Data. So there, there's not, not a yeah, I mm-hmm. see what you're saying. So 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 to summarize what you're saying is between the untreated and death guard, when it came to leaf mm-hmm. spot, uh, there was no uh, statistically significant difference. You had potentially a 2% reduction, but your standard deviation was probably greater than that, yeah. is my guess. Um, yeah. And then, and then you had Exile with 44% disease reduction, Stargus yeah. with 43%, and Regalia showing 41%. So they all, that's why yeah. they have the B after the disease intensity. So fairly yeah. moderate, um, disease reduction. Now, one question I, I, I had in my head while I was, I was listening to this was, did you spray, uh, the, the, the untreated crop with water as a way of removing that as a variable in comparison to these other treatments? Like could just the application of water reduce the amount, the, uh, fungus growth on yeah. that? Um, no, that's a good question. Uh, we did not spray with water uh, because we were. This study is a feed study. If it was, uh, if it were a greenhouse study where there is no rainfall, you know, we 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 normally you know spray with water. But the feed trial, when you spray your product and even though you do not spray the untreated with water, you know, rain is always falling and and so the same rain, rain water can fall on the plants and have the same effect on the disease. Mm-hmm. So so we do not spray with water and and I that does not really have any effect on the treatment. Okay. Okay. I was curious because I've heard that even water with, with powdery mildew, I don't know what leaf spot can help suppress powdery mildew, but obviously it also increases the humidity on the leaf surface and could lead to greater powdery mildew uh, growth yeah, too. Yeah. So I, I was just curious about that. So so you're saying with the yeah. rainfall and everything else, you guys chose not to because you're, you want your control to be most similar to what a grower would do in Tennessee, which is... Just yeah, will be an application. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, one other question I had with the microbial products that you applied, did you did you do any microbial testing to see um, if the microbes were present in the concentrations that were claimed on the labels? Oh, that's a good question. We did not test that. That alone is another be another story to to do that's a good question we we were not you know planning towards direction that direction we just want to test it in the field to see okay and 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 to be clear i'm not bringing these things up to criticize your work in the least bit because uh there's always there it's impossible to look at every you know every variable but it's important when evaluating a study to look to ask questions you know, to think about yeah. what the implications you can draw from the data. So 
one thing you could say is, well, maybe those bottles weren't as viable because they had been sitting on a shelf for a long time. Um, so yeah, it, it sure. may be worth going back at, at some point as a, as a separate researcher and looking at that, but that doesn't, yeah. it doesn't invalidate your results at all. So I just, I want to yeah. clarify that for listeners that I'm not, <laughs> I'm certainly not yeah, criticizing fact, your research. <laughs> you, you, you give us a very good research topic to, 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 <laughs> to, 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 to think on. And that's a very good one. You know, that would be another, maybe master's, uh, project <laughs> well we should talk because um i work with a, a a gentleman our research scientist who i work with dr ben higgins um he, he and i are always coming up with new <laughs> new research we would yeah. love to see around uh cannabis and hemp so i'd love to talk to stay in touch and talk about this but um, no. <laughs> I, i'm glad to see more of this research is coming out so that's that's the most important thing is that we're starting to get a body of knowledge that we can begin to learn more about this crop because none of the research we're seeing right now is definitive it's just it's just to start pointing us in a direction to say, Hey, this is worth looking at, you know? So, yeah. And that's where we have to start. Um, yeah. well, let's, let's talk about powder and mildew. So you, your results with, uh, and this was what made me think of the water thing is, is the comparison of the leaf spot versus powdery mildew results. Cause, uh, let's just start with deaf guard. You're, you're, you got no significant reduction, um, in disease intensity with deaf guard on leaf spot, but how about with powder and mildew? Yeah, the powder mildew, uh, we can see that um, uh, it's like uh, if you look at DevGuard and Stagos, they are like um, uh, they walk in an inverse, inverse, <laughs> inverse way. The Stagos control disease on uh, this spot, but um, uh, powder mildew, uh, it was relatively ineffective. But that guy became effective in controlling powder mildew, even though it was not, uh, you know, effective in controlling. Um, it was interesting when we saw the, the, the result. So we can see that um, guy control about 52% disease control, compared to the control. Um, whereas um, uh, the stagos uh, only control less than, you know, very low disease. So they, the, the Stargus and Death Guard kind of switched efficacy mm -hmm. when it came yeah. to leaf spot, spot and powdery mildew. So Death Guard, not effective against leaf spot, 52% effective against powdery mildew. Stargus, 43% yeah. effective against leaf spot, which was <laughs> one of your higher marks, and yet only 20% yeah. against powdery mildew. So very not, yeah. not really effective at all. Um, mm -hmm. But then your other two products, Exile and Regalia, and yeah. I have to go back here because I'm not familiar. Um, I know Regalia is a knotweed extract. Is Exile a microbial or is that the potassium salts of fatty acids? Yeah, it's, it's potassium salts salt of uh, fatty acid, that's Exile. And regalia is an extract of uh, this plant, uh, root nut. And um, yeah, regalia has been very effective generally on both disease, as you can see. Yes. And, also, and exa is more effective on the powder model. 
So you basically, with regalia, saw no powdery mildew. I mean, 99% disease reduction. Mm -hmm. So it was, it was barely, you were barely able to find it. That's amazing. That, you can't get better data than that on efficacy. Um, <laughs> that's quite good. So, um, um, oh, go ahead. Um, again, uh, I do want to point the fact that in feed study, uh, powdery mildew trial is always compared to indoor indoor trial. Now, powdery mildew is always relatively um, compared to in greenhouse. It's relatively low compared to the prayer is always very low compared to to um, uh, indoor. So uh, one of the reasons why you have that level of um, highly control uh, may be the fact that disease prior, you know, uh, in in uh, outside is, is is low because there, as you said earlier, rainfall can affect the powder mildew prior. You know, when there is water, it can you know reduce the the building of spores on the leaf. Mm-hmm. And then if you now put an effective uh, product, it easily uh, controls the disease. So that's one of the strengths of uh, uh, the regalia. The fact that, and also, you know, I have other, I've t- done several other tests in the greenhouse, and we are open to push out uh, another uh, publication um, by the end of um, this year uh, for for ton of greenhouse uh, trials and we have tested some new products and I'm excited about that. So you're going to see some results as well. Wonderful. I would, I would love to see that when that's available. Um, so, so you're, you're speculating that, um, the, the spore pressure from powdery mildew is lower outdoors than indoors and the rainfall events help wash away or, or don't allow the, PM to get as an effective of a hold on the leaf itself. Um, yeah, is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. You know, I've worked both in both systems, so I've seen powder mildew prior uh, uh, in both systems, and I've seen you know how the difference. The difference that you know in the greenhouse you have a humidity and and you know warm temperature. The greenhouse they control <laughs> they control environment. Mm-hmm. Which is very conducive for powder mildew uh, to develop, and uh, there's no that seasonal or occasional rainfall that washes away the the plant. There's no the high temperature that you know you know very high temperature during the summer that can you know. So uh, as he, as I said in the in the greenhouse, it's always if. I can share some of the pictures I have. If you look at the picture of the greenhouse infested powder mildew and the feed infested, you're going to see very, very different. You know, very good difference between them. Um, oh, so they, they um, physically display powdery mildew. The same species of powdery mildew will, will physically display differently in a greenhouse leaf than an outdoor leaf is what you're saying. Hmm, that's a good question that you, you raised now. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> when you were talking, my thought was, I wonder if we could if we could do targeted heat tri- treatments 
or targeted humidity treatments similar to what you might experience outdoors as a way of lowering yeah. spore pressure in a, in a controlled environment. I mean, there's so many yeah. there's so many different ways to approach this. Yeah, that's um, a good. That's a very good. In our greenhouse study, we look at the the we look at we we have been able to identify the the species that cause the the, the greenhouse uh, powder model. Um, but we did not uh, look at them. Even though, generally speaking, in terms of, we know that gonovinomycin is the, uh, the species that causes the powder model in Tennessee, but we have not uh, looked at the, the species itself, whether it's uh, Spadice, and there are different species, species that cause the the powder mold, but we've not been able to identify for the green uh, for the uh, feed um, okay, pathogen, so, the, the feed powder mold. So, so you're, what you're saying is that you identified the species for the greenhouse, which is Golovinomyces, yeah. but um, you... actually, Ambrosia, we we ID the identification Golovinomyces ambrosiae. Which is the most one of the most common uh, polymodal pathogen in this environment? Okay, okay. Um, but just for listeners, uh, powdery mildew is sort of a catch-all term for numerous species that produce a white powdery substance on a leaf surface. So, uh, yeah. and they don't all cross between plant to plant. So you could have two different species of plants, and one could be infected, and the other one could not, uh, just yeah. based on that particular species of powdery mildew and what plants it can infect. So, mm -hmm. yeah. um, well, well, getting back to your research here. So, so you found, um, neither, neither of the biological products, interestingly enough, was able to provide moderate efficacy across leaf spot and powdery mildew. Yeah. But both of the, uh, non-biologicals, so you had an extract and then the potassium, uh, mm -hmm. salts of fatty acids uh, showed good efficacy across leaf spot and powdery mildew. Um, yeah. Did you find any degradation of trichomes or, or anything that affected the final product with any of these applications? Okay, so the question is, is does so, any of the treatment affect the trichome, or is that what you mean? Yeah, the quality of the final product. So uh, obviously, as a grower, uh, you know, if I'm, uh, you don't, you try to avoid spraying things as we move mm -hmm. into flower. Now, sometimes you have to, but that can affect the quality, um, whether yeah. that's the the terpenes or the trico development of of the product itself, the crop. Mm. Um, did you find any differences based on these app, these treatments? as to the final, uh, you know, hemp quality? Hmm. That's, a, that's a very good question. Um, <laughs> seriously, I begin to think about uh, one direction. As we did test uh, the, the, the amount, you know, the quantity. We did a, a quantitative analysis of the uh, CBD, which is the, you know, I said earlier that most of the hemp that we tested uh, for CBD production. So we did tell if the, our treatment affects the quantity of the uh, CBD content in each uh, uh, 
at okay. times. And we did not find any difference. There was no no any difference. But as we are talking now, I begin to think about the chemical analysis. Maybe that that may be very good because you talked about degradation and uh, you know, you also raised a very good point. It may be nice to look at, you know, the 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 uh qualitative in terms of uh uh chemical analysis of the of the uh, the products, I mean the 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 CBD itself, whether there is a contaminant or whether there is a you no know, degradation, or mm-hmm. so maybe that that may be a very good thing to test. But we've not we've not looked at that. Yeah, one concern would be if a product contained levels of heavy metals, um, mm. then that would that would be something that you could be potentially risking with your crop, uh, even though these products by nature of being registered as a fertilizer or a pesticide. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not sure with pesticides, but I'm pretty sure that that's the same case. I know with fertilizers, you have to get tested for heavy metal analysis, but that would be something um, to look at. But um, so, so you, did, you didn't find any st- statistically significant results when you measured the CBD, the cannabinoids, um, across yeah. all four treatments. Did you see any biomass differences? So the, were the yields, I would assume that the regalia plot would have higher yields because you had a greater amount of disease reduction. So the plants were probably healthier. Did, did you find that or what, what were the results there? Cause I don't see them here in the, in the paper itself. Yeah. Uh, we look at the biomass. Um, you know, obviously we saw that, you know, those like, uh, more highly effective uh, treatment has like increase in biomass, but statistically, again, they were not different. But you can see, obviously, I mean, visually you can see that the number increase is higher, greater than the known to untreated. And when we do the analysis, uh, you know, statistics, statistical analysis there was no significant difference statistically different so okay that's uh, let me make sure i understand this because i think this is an important point so so you're saying that even though the biomass visually was greater in the treatment plots than the untreated yeah. based when you did the the statistical analysis when you did the the math on it there it was yeah. not statistically significant yield increase yeah. Yeah, that's that's a huge point. I just want to emphasize because that's really interesting, because if if that were to play out as as more research becomes available, you know, these your next table here, table two shows the cost of these products. Um, Yeah. You know, you're anywhere from five hundred to over seventeen hundred dollars per acre across Mm -hmm. a season. Yeah. Well, in theory, that's a waste of money if. we're not getting biomass increases, uh, yield increases, right? Yeah, yeah, it's, it's true. Um, uh, one question that we always talked about again is uh, what level of statistically significant or different is, is financially or economically significant? Mm. You, know, you know, what level of statistics? Statistically different, or is is economically significant? You know, in in IPM, one objective of IPM is to is to reduce disease to below 
uh, economic threshold. Yes. And that is a threshold that our uh, injury threshold, we call it economic injury threshold. That's a threshold that is going to cause uh, economical uh, damage. So when you apply your product, you may be able to, you know, at the end of the, the, uh, the season, be able to know that if this product, uh, even though it controls maybe little disease, does that little disease uh, affect my uh, uh, economy? You know, does it does it bring some uh, profit? Yeah. So these are the questions that uh, also that needs to be considered. That's that's a really really good point, Rufus. So j- just because it's not stati- so the whole point of all of this, <laughs> all of this is to is to is to stable, you know, figure out what the economic threshold of a disease is. So, um, if some, just because it's not statistically significant from a grower perspective, it could still be economically viable. Yeah. It could still be worth it. Um, yeah, that's, that's a thought that, that, that's a very, very good point. So even though the research may not show significance, the, um, visually you're saying so in theory if we apply stargus and it costs us around five hundred dollars for the season and we get you know half a pound more out of that crop or a pound or whatever would would make the difference then it's worth doing that application once we figure in the cost of the product and the labor associated and the equipment to make that application so excellent point i i that's that's a very good way of explaining that um so you know, one I want to I want to kind of turn away from this research. You've I looked you up on Google Scholar. You've done a lot of research over the years here, uh, and one of the things you focused on is uh, a lot of microbial products um, or, or dealing with uh, you know microbial disease. Um, but I wanted I wanted to just talk really quickly about um, you know you've looked at different bacillus strains for promoting plant growth. And I'm curious, you know, what, you know, your research was on corn and wheat and soybean, it looks like. Um, yeah. How, what bacillus species do you think would be most promising for research with hemp or cannabis? Hmm, that's a very good, <laughs> that's a very good question. And, uh, talking about my some of my previous research on with uh, bacillus, with my experience, although I've not tested any, I've not tested specifically. Uh, uh, we, we're not trying to see the effect of bacillus on on the powder mildew, even though some of the uh, on on hemp, even though some of the product that we tested contain uh, bacillus. And we've not like trying to see, look at the product because we are bacillus. We're trying to look at the uh, mode of action. But in my previous, um, uh, my previous uh, uh, research, I've looked at effect of bacillus on different crops, including corn, soybean, and wheat. And some of the ones that we found to be very uh, effective in in promoting growth. So when I did this study, I looked at the their effect in promoting growth, whether in the absence of disease or whether the disease is present. 
So that what I mean is that I did not include like a pathogen into the the rice sphere mm-hmm. to cause disease. So we just look at normal soy, feed soy. We put the the, the we inoculate the 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 rice sphere with the bacillus, and in, in we wash the plant growing in the greenhouse and see whether the bacillus is going to increase the growth um, in that environment. And what we found, we found that um, bacillus, uh, uh, pimilis, and, and some penibacillus as well, they were effective in increasing uh, uh, corn, corn growth. And other ones, including Savensis and uh, Bacillus um, megatherium, was also effective, I think, from soybean. So um, that's basically what I've, what I've done in with um, Bacillus on other, um, other, con- I mean, other crop. In my greenhouse experiment, with uh, powder mudu on hemp, we tested some products, and one of the I think one of the products has um, has a bacillus, uh, I think bacillus subtilis, and I think it was you know effective, uh, relatively effective compared to other products that were tested. So. Yeah, that's what I I could say about that. So, so you found in in uh, by applying uh, rhizobacteria, you got increased plant growth and yield um, uh, up to two hundred percent increased shoot well weight on corn. Um, but you were doing it sort of like you said in a, in a vacuum, so there was no competition for these bacillus strains. Um, like you would find in a normal soil or media, um, but you, but you did find that they were able to increase yields overall. So there's it's it's promising research, but not not definitive at this point. Is what you would say in terms of adding these bacillus species to a crop? Yeah, well, as the, as is, you can see in that study, those. Uh, um, Strain that were tested. Uh, talking about the one that increased very, very out to the. Let me look at it now. Um, yeah, penny bacillus, uh, bacillus offensis, bacillus simplex. The increased growth in that condition. We 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 include we inoculate this plant, the roots with it with his um, bachelor's and the increased growth. Then know that these were very um, isolated that we isolated from the soil. These are not like products. Mm-hmm. These are not like commercialized products. And the objective of the study was like, you know, bachelor's, they are very, they, they can adapt to a very uh, arch environment. And also, we also know that 
some of the vaccine laws, even though they are they might be effective in a particular environment or region, when you take them to another region to apply, they may be inconsistent in their application. So so all of these strain that I work with in this particular study, we were we isolated them in that environment that we intend to use them so that we can see where they can, you know, uh, increase growth in that environment. And the objective was these products was going to be developed for further develop for that environment. So that's that's what intention. So and as you can see, the most of them work very well on corn in in a greenhouse in that environment. So the next study, which uh, probably they they are going to take on, is to the most effective one to like take it to the feed environment, maybe in a micro plot tire, and see whether they're going to have the same effect they have in the greenhouse. So, so basically, you're taking the bacillus strain, and these are not commercially available strains. Yeah, uh, and um, you're going to take those, and uh, and since they worked in a essentially when they were the only uh, bacteria applied to the roots, and they they did it, they did show good results. Now you want to take that and apply it in a field situation scenario and see if you get similar results there, is what you're yeah. saying. And I yeah, think. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, that said, that would be another objective, research objective. Now that I, you know, I I did my research in the greenhouse, and uh, the further study now would be to look at the the most effective ones to take them to the feed environment and apply them to to corn and, and see if they're going to have the same effect they have in the greenhouse. Yeah, and one thing, and this is probably less something you're familiar with, is but um, what what will happen is is I find on the on the commercial side, on the sales product side, someone would take a paper like this and say, okay, uh, you know, just to find one, Bacillus megatherium. They wouldn't mm-hmm. worry so much about the R one eighty one, so it's not that particular strain, but they would say, okay, well, Bacillus megatherium is shown to increase shoot weight by 200%. And then they would go and buy Bacillus megatherium from, you know, China or, you know, on Alibaba or something (laughs) as a powder, put it on a label, and then they would sell that and make these claims. So, uh, because the biostimulant or microbial industry on the product side is growing dramatically. And so I would just suggest that people do their research and and then look a little deeper into the product itself because the the strain matters. Um, You know, it it matters a lot. We can't just assume that all bacillus subtilis is going to have the same effect. It it doesn't. And we also can't assume that something, you know, in vitro or in, uh, you know, your plot is going to have the same effect as it would in my potting soil or in my garden. So, um, we people need to be careful with data and how they interpret it um, to yeah. not draw conclusions that may not be may not be true. That's that's all, because the yeah. the cannabis industry yeah. has a lot of products and they're mm. not all good. And uh, it's something that we talk about a lot on this podcast. Mm. So, 
Yeah, you, you make a very good point, and I just want to emphasize on that again. You know, if you look at my my uh, data on the feed fungicide hemp trial, you, you're going to see that DevGuard and Stagos, you know that they have the same species of, of bacillus, right? Mm-hmm. Are you aware of that? I would, so both products have the same species of bacillus, is what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, the same species of bacillus, but ah, different strains. But different strains. Uh, okay, I missed yeah. that. Yeah, and, and you can see that this here have different effectiveness. So wow. <laughs> it's very interesting, right? Yeah. So that's how it is with uh, microorganisms. That they are the same species does not mean they're going to have the, the same uh, mode of action. Uh, because now if you look at uh, the, the second objective in that my microbial, um, uh, microbial assay study, you see that most of, if you look at the second objective is to look at the um, mode of actions of the, of the, um, the bacillus. And what you find is that these bacillus have different uh, mode of actions. Even though they, uh, they may be the same species, and they're going to have different traits. They're going to have different traits. For instance, let's see if we if it's antibiotics against bacteria, uh, they may be the same, the same species. They're still going to have different antibiotics efficacy against other bacteria or other fungi. Uh, they, they may be able to produce, uh, one may be able to produce the uh, derefor, and the other strain cannot produce the derefor. One may be able to like uh, maybe produce uh, some growth, a uh, plant growth tumor, and the other one, uh, the other strain cannot do that. So it is very important that um, you know that uh, uh, we consider the strain when we are talking about you know that some of, uh, one bacillus uh, subspecies work does not mean all bacillus subspecies gonna work. And that is why it's very important that extensive study is done on every strain of uh, bacillus or any ba- any plant growth promoting agent or mm. plant bio- or biological control agent. Extensive research must be done on that strain before it can actually be uh, released for for commercialization. That that's that's really interesting and. Uh... I think it shows, too, just how much research there is available to be done um, on on hemp and cannabis. And that's, for me, that's the most exciting thing about this plant and one of the things that I'm most passionate about um, with this industry is that we can do this research. And even if the research that, say, um, you know, my my good friend and colleague – Ben Higgins is doing, even though it's not backed by a university, it can be preliminary work where we could say, hey, we're seeing statistical trending that this, you know, this product may have this suppression effect or, you know, running nutrients at this level will cause this sort of plant growth response um, to where then, then a university or someone like yourself, a researcher could then 
repeat the trial and get more, uh, you know, more data to, to make a, a, a better decision for growers long term. So it's, it's an exciting industry to be a part of. And we need the research that, uh, you know, people like yourself is, are doing. It, it's just so important. So I, I thank you for that. Yeah, sure. The smart research, the smart research to be done more, more, lot, lot of them. Yeah, there's more, more. Because uh, a lot of things, a lot of questions that they need to be answered. A lot of, uh, yeah. Well, I, I really appreciate it. I hope we can stay in touch and uh, share research and. Um, learn from each other. And I thank you so much for taking the time today to share your research uh, with this audience and uh, appreciate what you're doing. Sure. Thank you, Todd. I really appreciate, you know, thanks for having me. And, you know, I'm, I always look for opportunity to share the, the result of my research because I always say that what is the use of research if those people who need information <laughs> can get it. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's always, you know, I'm always excited to 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 uh, share the the result of my research. So and I'm so I thank you for for having me to do this. It, it's great. So thank you again, and uh, yes, I will continue to work to share this research directly with growers so that they can help make better decisions in their uh, in their gardens. So yeah. Thanks again. Have a wonderful day, Rufus. Uh, thank you. Thank you. Okay. Bye. All right. Talk yep. to you later. Bye. That was Rufus at Kinrin Lola, and you are listening to the Cannabis Cultivation and Science Podcast. I'm your host, Tad Hussey. I'll post pertinent links on the podcast page at www.kisorganics.com. Just click on the Learn tab and then Podcast. Thanks for listening.